morning, everybody. Thank you, worship team, for what you've provided for us. That last song, I just want to continue in the spirit of it. Um, the writers of that song obviously got excited, so excited about the things of God that their image, their view of Him means that their response was, I could sing of your love. How long was it? Forever. Just lost in the, the sense of that. And it's not, I've, whenever I sing that song, I love it. I think well, it's not practical because I'm not singing out loud, but my spirit, I trust, is singing continually on earth and it will in heaven is the promise of God and His presence. So there is a truth to it, and I don't want it to ever feel like I've just got to go through life Well, there's lots of other things to attend to, saying, no, I can't do that because I'm singing of His love forever. It should be flowing out of me. It flowed out of men and women that we read of in Scripture, men and women down through history. One of them was the man David. He wrote this psalm, Psalm 8, with that same spirit of, just lost in the concepts and the ideas of God. He wrote this, Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man, that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, my name is Tim Burton. I have not directed any Hollywood movies ever in my life and have no intention of. A little bit frustrated, to tell you the truth, that I'm, my name is shared with someone whose movies are dark and weird. Um, I don't think I'm dark, maybe weird, but uh, he's, yeah, please don't get me confused. Uh, I am a minister with the Church of the Nazarene, and it was 30 years ago this year that I completed my studies just down the road, other side of the river, at the Nazarene Theological College. I was there from 1987 through to 1989, graduated, went into ministry. That ministry began in my homeland of New Zealand. I went back across the Tasman and had an associate pastor role in Wellington for three years. Over that time, I uh, enjoyed the company of my very best friend so much that I said to her, would you like to marry me? And she said, yes, it was just wonderful. So my wife, Araha, is with us today, and I'm so glad for that. Uh, and we started our family. Daughter number one was born while we were in Wellington, so we had our Rachel. And then we made the move across. I had an uh, opportunity to become associate pastor at the Kapalabar Church in Nazarene, also down the other side of the river. Not much of my history this side. Uh, and where our second daughter was born, Abby, sitting on the front row. So Rachel's down the back there somewhere. Hi, Rach. Hi, Abby. Good to have all the family here. And uh, so we moved on. We were living in Brisbane for a few years. My first senior pastoral role took me down to Gawler, South Australia. And uh, down there, connected with um, a relative of Dallas, I believe. Hi, Dallas. Your younger brother, Glenn, and his wife, Jackie, and their family ministered into their world 
And down the road from where I was, a certain Rob Simpson and his wife Karen brought uh, the Wesleyan Methodist ministry to South Australia as missionaries down there. And I understand they're up the road, Maryborough, Facebook friends with uh, Rob. And uh, I understand that you met him a couple of weeks ago, a little bit ago, and he's a good guy. So good company, lots of weaving, connectings. My wife and I moved from South Australia to Western Australia in 2006, 10 years of ministry there. And then we had a sense of a call to go to the United Kingdom. So we're back here on holiday. We've been there three years uh, ministering in the town and sitting at Sheffield. Give it up for Sheffield, anyone? Any connections? Thank you. If you love your cutlery, just say thank the Lord for Sheffield, where steel was the the name of the game for many, many generations. Not so much anymore, um, but a great place to be in ministry and a a nation in great need. Uh, We're here on holiday. And we do intend to go back and just continue to find a place. Our time at Sheffield's come to an end and we're waiting on the Lord to open a new door because uh, the United Kingdom is a nation that needs God's guidance. And uh, I would ask that you pray as we do for the nation that we now call home. When we had made the plans to come here for holiday, just thinking it was going to be a holiday, uh, Joe, your senior administrator, Joe Thompson, said to me, my sister-in-law, said, um, oh, by the way, uh, Tim, would you like to share? We're in between ministers, pastors, senior pastors. And I said, yes. I don't usually say yes when I'm on holiday, but I had a very clear and a very immediate sense that God wanted me. I don't particularly want to do this. Certainly don't want to do it twice on a Sunday morning, but here I am. God wanted you as a people to hear a word that I believe you have been hearing. Uh, There was a little hint of what Neil spoke about last Sunday the names of God, that I can add my voice to those of others saying, stay focused on him. You've said farewell to a senior pastor. God bless him in his ministry, moving on to other things. You're awaiting a new senior pastor, and I am excited with you. My wife and I, all the way from the UK, have been praying for you and with you through this time. But please don't let this just be a waiting time where you're just thinking, well, good, someone's coming, and then it's all going to kick off. Because my scriptures tell me that my God will supply all your needs. He's more than enough, and He's present today. You don't have to wait for new leadership. If you're already in love with God, fulfilling your God-purposed plans as a people and individually, when the new pastor arrives, a few weeks to go, isn't it? You've got a countdown clock happening. When he arrives and find a church mobilized, motivated, in love with Jesus, loving one another, doing the work of the ministry, reaching out to others already, how good is that? Get him blessed even before he arrives and keep praying. So that's really all I wanted to say to you. But since I'm here, how about I say a bit more? A couple of questions we're going to start with if we've got all the PowerPoint going and I have got that prepared. Two questions. The first one is, what is the Lord like? And I've used those words carefully because we can get very consumed with what our Lord is like and create a God after our own image, if you know what I mean. I want a God who can do this and will look like this and will treat me like this, will turn up at these moments in my life, and we can sort of feel like we can self-shape God to what we think we want or need. Well, I'm less interested in that in your life, and I certainly don't want that in my life. I'm looking for the Lord who reveals himself, 
through creative glory, through holy scripture, the one who comes, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who is unchanging. I want to know what that God, the one true living God is like, not the God of my creation. So what is the Lord like? Here's a list to start you with. If we've had more time and a bit more fun, I'll be running the microphone around and getting your answers, but put up with mine. Think of your own. Some of the characteristics of this God, that he is one, he is active, he is compassionate, he is eternal, he is faithful, he is trustworthy, he is good, he is gracious, he is holy, he is just, he is loving, he is love. He is merciful. He is, oh, big words coming now, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent everywhere. And what's the third one that goes with those theologians? Omniscient, all-knowing, the three O words. He is patient, he is righteous, and he is truth. All these characteristics. And we, like David in Psalm 8, can get excited about what God does. Oh, Lord, my Lord. How majestic is your name because, and start to write our list like David did of the actions of God. But his character is the foundation. Out of his character comes the activity. And I want us to get lost there. I want to take you back into Exodus chapters 14 and 15. And Exodus 14 is the narrative story of the children of Israel who had been enslaved in Egypt. Pick up the story from the beginning of the book of Exodus. Enslaved. Moses then is told by God to be his messenger and his leader for his people and to go back to them. He's run away from that role. He comes back and he says to Pharaoh, let my people go. There's all of this conversation takes place. In Exodus 14, verses 21 to 28, we read the part of the narrative where Pharaoh finally says, after lots of persuasion by the power of God, um, all right, go, just go, just go. Changes his mind, starts to chase them with his army. Let's get all our slaves back. Who's going to do all the work? We've lost our slave labor. And how in Exodus 14 from 21, the people of Israel have reached the edge of a sea. And they've got nowhere to go now to run away from this army that's coming to collect them, punish them, take them back into slavery. And we read in the narrative how Moses extends his staff. And many of you will know what happens next, don't you? It's been shown on films, the cartoon versions, all sorts, the story of the Bible, that the waters parted, the people of Israel get to walk through on dry land, and they're safe on the other side, and when Pharaoh and his army trying to follow them in, the waters collapse. And so into, uh, into Exodus 15, the first verses of Moses and all the people start to sing, I will sing unto the Lord. For he has acted gloriously, the horse and the rider he is thrown into the sea. And there's a great song of celebration that comes to us in the words of Exodus 15. In the midst of all that celebrating that they are free, they're liberated, and slaves no longer, a new world, a new hope, a new future is provided for them. In the midst of all of that, verse 11 is what's on the text, my text for today. In the midst of their celebrating the goodness of God, there's a thought, a snapshot of character. It's not just God, you've done great things because we're through the sea and our enemies have been drowned. Yay, us. What you've done, it's a thought about the sort of character that is presented. Who is like the Lord? 
That's my second question. The implication is nobody. There's only one. It's only you we're singing the song to, our God, our Savior, our Redeemer, Lord of all creation, the Lord that did this miracle. Who is like you? Who among the gods is like you? We read, O Lord, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Characteristics that let's pick up on and explore what they mean, what they reveal to us of God in his essence. That first phrase is that God is majestic in holiness. And there we have a definition of majestic. What does it mean to be majestic? It means, the dictionary helped me out, impressive in dignity, authority, and bearing. That is of a monarch. Well, I'm not sure we live in a day and age where we look at the monarchs around us. Queen Elizabeth II, still got a bit of cred, doesn't she, for this sort of stuff. But what's coming next? Oh, dear. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Do we look at any human, in fact, and see this completeness of being impressive in dignity and authority and bearing? Should we be looking to any other human to provide that for us? The people of Israel, in the midst of their celebrations, have their eyes and their minds centered on the glory of God and His majesty, and they describe it as being a majesty that is majestic in holiness. Now, the UK, who's now our homeland, knows how to do majesty on a human level with all the pomp and the ceremony. And the, um, the night of the proms is a great example of that. The, the trooping of the colors. You can Google some of these things and everyone just looks so, and, and it's just a great event. But the majesty of God goes beyond any human sense of, oh, that's impressive to a whole new level of being majestic in holiness. Well, what is that? Holiness. My churches, my denomination's history, and your own Wesleyan Methodists, we've come about because of a cry and a search for holiness, a hunger for holiness. If we read in Scripture that our God is holy, we should be holy, what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we wrestle with that? How do we receive everything and anything that God has in store for us? Holiness means, as we translate it from the Hebrew, to be set apart, particularly this idea of set apart for sacred use. The people of Israel started through their wilderness learning as God was speaking to them, realized that God would set apart Items of clothing for certain people, priests were declared, the people of Levi, the tribe of Levi, that certain um, uh, objects were to be holy, tables, basins, all sorts of things for the purposes of worship of God were set apart as holy unto the Lord. Wonderful, purity, they, they were to be kept clean, spotless, pure for their purpose. And then there's us. God is majestic in his holiness, and he says, I want to share that with you. A God who is majestic in holiness. And it's appropriate for God that we see him as our majesty, a reference there in 1 Timothy, that God is the blessed and only ruler. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He is the one who is majestic in holiness. 
we look to him. We don't wait for a new pastor to arrive. God is with us. God is all we need. And we get on with it in relationship with him. He is majestic in holiness. So look to the Lord and worship. He is worthy of our worship. Was it worship you offered this morning as we sung? I could sing of your love forever. Just words coming out of your mouth while you're thinking of lunch later. Or really a heart worship that I can sing of your love forever. You are that special. The wow factor going on in our spirits as we worshiped him who is majestic in his holiness. We read on, there was a second phrase that Moses and the people of Israel said, who is like the Lord? He is majestic. You are majestic in holiness and you are awesome in, say it with me, glory. Awesome in your glory. Now glory is like that idea of majestic, isn't it? The dictionary tells me it means magnificence or great beauty. Magnificence or great beauty. Now, it's one thing to know about God, to sit there and go, majestic and holiness sounds fascinating. Hmm, thank you for that thought. It's another thing to know, not just know about a God who is offered as such, majestic and holiness, awesome and glory. It's another thing to know him personally. Listen to what John writes in his first letter. John, who walked with Jesus for three years, 1 John 1, 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this is what we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. And I would submit to you that if glory has something to do with beauty, that it needs to be perceived. Something seen. Not just with these eyes, because that would count some people out. Well, you can't see beauty. Your eyes are dim. You cannot see. No, we can perceive beauty in other ways, can't we? Close your eyes and have someone just waft some flowers, roses past you and get the beautiful aroma. A scent can be regarded as beautiful. Close your eyes and hear some music playing. Music can be counted as beauty. The touch, the texture of certain fabrics, beauty. So it's a perception beyond what we see, but beauty is to be realized. Majestic and holiness may feel like it's far beyond us, but let's bring it into a place where we get to perceive this God and see that He is awesome in that glory. It's not a glory that is man-made or man-offered. It's not a reflected glory. So like so much of what we may have is, it is pure it is awesome, and it is consistent. The Old Testament presents it, the New Testament presents it, and we today are supposed to present it. Let's look at some of these verses very quickly. The Exodus reference, chapter 40, verses 34 and 35, tell the story of the glory filling the tabernacle. Big word, if you're not aware of it, it was the mobile place, the tent of meeting it's called, where as the people were journeying, this journey that started with a Red Sea experience, there through on the other side, they start a wilderness journey that lasts 40 years before they reach the promised land. And on that journey, God said, put to one side a special tent of meeting. And we read in these verses that when they set it up, as God said for them to design it, His glory filled that place. 
by the reference of first king's time, generations later. The people are now in their promised land, the modern land of Israel, that, that piece of territory. And God has said to them, I want a permanent house for my glory. Build me a temple. In the time of King Solomon, this takes place. And the temple is built, and we read in these verses, 1 Kings 8, 10, and 11, that what happens is the temple is, is uh, finished off, and the, basically the ribbon-cutting ceremony, that God's glory fills the temple. The people were expected to have a notion that when God turns up, it will be glorious. It will be awesome in its glory, in a way that people are unable to approach into the New Testament. And the clearest presentation of God's glory to us after a temporary feature and then a permanent structure is to say, well, hang on, even that permanent structure can be broken down as it was. The temple that was built got destroyed. So where can we get an eternal structure that will present to us the glory of God? And God did that by sending His own Son into the world. The best representation of His glory that we can see is in the divine Son, Jesus, born human like you and I, giving us an example of that set for us how we are to live as vessels of the glory of God. The New Testament writers get excited about this, and there's some references there of how Jesus holds and contains the glory of the Father. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, and in Hebrews 1, 3, we read that He is the exact representation of the glory of God. For He is God, fully in essence, as He takes on human flesh to walk among us. Peter gets excited about it. He writes about it. He speaks about it. After an infilling of the very glory of God by His Spirit, by God's Spirit into His own life, that's what He's preaching about in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 3. He wants to declare to the world, this God has a glory that is like nothing else ever experienced. And church, we can get back to that. That same fervor and that same message for the lives we live out amongst the communities where we live. It's needed in the UK, and I'm privileged to be serving there at the moment, and it's certainly needed, I'm sure, here on the north side of Brisbane and the North Lakes area. God bless you as you go and take His glory. And that asks the question then, who today? Because it's an Old Testament truth, it's a New Testament truth. They spoke about it, they were excited about it, but what of today? Their time has done. David, who writes a psalm of God's glory. You've set your glory above the heavens, writes David. Well, his time is done. His witness is over. We can read of it. We can learn from it. But he's not walking with us. Peter, John, others who talked about this glory. Thank you, gentlemen, leaving this word inspired by God. But today, who's the witness? Well, I've helped you out. There's the clue. Us, as they'd say in Sheffield. It's about us. Us, together. God's people on earth today presenting His glory to this generation. God bless us as we try and do that, get excited about doing that, hungry to do that. Present this awesome God, awesome God. Don't keep Him in a box, but let out that glory as it has always meant to be seen through the tabernacle and the temple and the life of Christ and now 
us. So God is the one who is majestic in holiness. He's awesome in his glory. And the third phrase, anyone remember? Working wonders. We've got a sheet. There it is. Working wonders. Now, of course, Exodus 15, the song that is sung is all about the wonder of seas that parted and people being able to go through, enemies being drowned. Woohoo, we're free. That's their particular context. But that wonder-working God had already been working wonders in the history of this people and their ancestors that we read about in the book of Genesis. And he continued to be at work on behalf of his people after that event, right through their wilderness experience. We're hungry now. There's no food. God provides food. We're thirsty now. God provided water out of a rock that poured out water. Read the stories. Be amazed, but believe. Read them with eyes of faith, a heart of faith that says, where is God then and where is he today? Because he is the same yesterday, today and forever. Still majestic in his holiness, still awesome in his glory and still working wonders. Hasn't changed from the biblical record to the stories that Christians, the people of God, have been telling through the generations down to today. It was a few years ago I read Ian McCormick's story. I believe he's an Australian. And my notes here tells me, the st- I remember reading the story where this man who had been brought up in a Christian home had rebelled, had walked away from the things of faith and had just gone his own way, loved to swim, scuba dive, went into a place of water where he got stung, not once, not twice, but five times by box jellyfish. Well, the, the experts tell us one stings enough to be lethal. And here he is stung five times. And as he starts to experience all of those those, the dramas, the trauma of uh, what should now be the end of his life. He's crying out to God, crying out to God. I remember, I remember, Lord, the faithlessness of my life now, but the faithfulness you have offered to me. I remember your love and I have, I can't remember exactly a mother or perhaps a grandmother that has been praying for him. Ian, I'm praying for you. And the prayers of God's people are powerful and effective, we read in Scripture. And as his grandmother prayed, a healing takes place. And this man who deserved to die, no other way about it, stung five times by a box jellyfish, survives. And then goes on to live a life to the glory, to the glory of God. Ian McCormick's story. Well, there are amazing ways that God is working in the world today. That's one of them. You may be able to share others. Please do afterwards. Tell each other your stories. Get excited at the awesome things that God does, but also in the little things, the day-by-day, moment-by-moment issues that we just think, oh, bother, that we can give to God, trust in Him, that His majesty and His glory and His wonder-working power can be released in our lives in big ways and small. A couple of stories. While we're in the UK, we had two women in our church, uh, um, middle-aged women whose elderly parents were struggling, and and the struggle as children of these parents was heavy on these two women, Carol and Mandy. And my wife really felt impressed one day, I need to go visit Mandy, I need to go and visit. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. What should I take? Chocolates doesn't seem right, flowers. And had the sense of the Spirit saying to her, take water, water went out and bought some very plain old water bottles, a great big outer container of them, about 12 of them, lots of water. Knocked on the door, hi Mandy, 
know you're going through a hard time. Here's some water. Just felt, felt silly, but felt obedient. And the little things of life, God can speak. Where water is needed, water can be provided. Mandy said, thank you so much. This is the perfect gift. Mum and dad were struggling to get them water drinking. Uh, we feel they're getting dehydrated in their home. This water will be a real blessing. I go back a few years earlier, my first church, Gawler, South Australia. Uh, Matthew, uh, Michael was in our church, had a little son, Matthew. Matthew was part of a football team. I'm thinking he might have been six or seven at the time. And Michael's taking him on a Saturday morning off to the football ground. Lots of little towns around the town that we were living in. One of them has the name, true name, Nuriutpa. And uh, we, he drove into Nuriutpa for his son Matthew's game. And he got there and he suddenly realized, I don't know where I'm going. I've got to this town, but where's the football? And he, and he stopped and his son goes, Dad, why have we stopped? We've got to get to football. Well, son, I'm not sure where I've got to go. I've just got to try and think my way through and get my bearings. And his son said, Dad, why don't we pray about it? Well, how do you say, no, no, not right now. I've got to get my bearings. Of course, he said, well, son. And he, he, when he told the story to the church, he said, I didn't have a whole lot of faith. It's just, I've got a six-year-old kid saying, how, of course I'm going to pray. Oh, hey, Lord, well, we need to know where we're going. And his mind thinking, as soon as this prayer's over, I'm going to get back to getting my bearings. But the prayer was over, and there's this voice, this, this sense of saying, turn right here, now turn left. He directed him directly to the football ground. We, we don't have to be surprised at these things. In the little aspects of life, for a six-year-old boy's faith to be developed, so he can get to football on time, and he's going to pray about it, that God will come through. Did it change the world? Maybe for nobody else except young Matthew, to realize God loves him. He's a wonder-working God in the big things and in the small because he loves us all. Well, let's wrap this up. Oh, no, I'm not. I want it. Yes, I want to hit that greatest wonder. I keep forgetting it, but I don't want to because this is the crux of it, isn't it? The wonder-working power of God is best, best displayed, I think, when I think about what wonderful thing has God done. It's that he sent his son into the world to die for my sins. Something that we've remembered at this communion table this morning. God loves me that much when I was unlovely and still am in many ways, but goodness me, I had no regard for him. And he sent his son to die for me. To everybody in the world, all have great worth in the sight of God. And that, as I've said in the, in the notes, I've scribbled down some thoughts there that power of a sin and its consequences for us is broken by that love. There's hope for a new way of living. Love becomes possible and we get introduced to it and it fills our hearts. It forgives us completely for the past and sets us on a new course with God, a new way to live. The wonder-working power of God is to provide that opportunity, that gift for every single person on the face of this earth. Pray for them. Some words just to wrap things up then. Little takeaway points to run away with. The majesty of God being majestic in His holiness, I think, relates to His purity. You can trust God. No mistakes, no scars, no brokenness in His character. 
He carried scars for us, but in himself, absolute purity, a purity of love. So we can look at God, this majestic of his holiness, and say, my God, this God that the people were celebrating in Exodus 15, crossing the Red Sea, woohoo! he's pure. He's worthy of our worship today and every day in a corporate setting or on your own. God is pure in his love for you and his purposes for you. Second word, he is perceived, awesome in his glory. He reveals glimpses of it to us, not just to have for us, but that we then, as we receive it, it flows out of us as well. Paul talks about that being like in a jar of clay. We have this glory. It should flow out. But we get to perceive something of God and share that with others. He's awesome in his glory. Tell his story. Tell his story to others. And then he has a wonder-working God. Of course, he is a God of power. He has been at work in this world. Creative power made it beautiful. And after a fall, a moral fall, his power to redeem and restore what we cannot do for ourselves. And the power to continue to shape and direct and bless and heal lives even today, even in this place. Can you trust him for that if you have need? Because he's present. He's present. And as we close in song, let the presence of God, his holiness, his glory, his love, his power bless you and take that blessing out to a waiting world. God bless you, church.